0: If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond, and I want to thank you for joining us today for another episode. I'm really excited about this guest today. His name is Ashok Gupta. I ran into Ashok's work when I myself kind of hit a roadblock in my own healing, and it seemed a dead end at the nervous system. If you're not familiar with the ideas of neuroplasticity, Ashok's work has kind of tapped into, I guess the neuroplasticity-ness that we have as humans to retrain the brain in a way to allow us to heal and move forward. Oftentimes when we get an illness, what happens is the nervous system can actually get stuck in some way. It's stuck in kind of a state of stress and it it doesn't really allow you to get the healing that you need and move forward on your journey. So sometimes we need to take a pause and actually retrain the brain, how to interpret our environment, whether it's inside of our body or external, so that it feels safe and it can move forward. It's a very interesting topic. And I think in general, we're really just scraping the surface of how powerful this tool is. And I think we're gonna hear a lot of it, of different brain training tactics to move forward in the future of of medicine really so i hope you enjoy the episode ashok has been kind enough to offer a discount to any of our listeners for any of the programs that they offer that you're interested in so take a look at the show notes for for that i hope you enjoy the show and thanks for listening Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond, and I want to thank you all for tuning in and joining us for another episode. Today's guest is a health practitioner, a filmmaker, a public speaker, the founder of the Gupta Program, the founder of the Moving, uh, the Meaning of Life Experiment, and more recently, the Coronavirus Challenge. His name is Ashok Gupta. Ashok, can you say hello to our audience for me?
2: Hi there, Les. Well, wonderful to, uh, to be with you and your audience today.
1: I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. I've actually stumbled across your work uh, a while back on my, when I was on my own healing journey, which seemed to hit a dead end at the nervous system. And I started to explore kind of how the nervous system is really paramount in, you know, becoming more part of our healing process. And at the Mindful Movement here, of facilitating or empowering self-healing is kind of a big part of our message so i think your work is is really critical for a lot of people and i'm really happy to uh be a conduit for your information and help get it out there for you uh maybe we could start out what's up by just you know Mm -hmm. telling us a little bit more about yourself and and how you got to where you are right now
2: sure well, well thank you for uh, for that introduction so yeah myself it's been a healing journey similar to yourself um so i had um oh, i suffered from me or chronic fatigue syndrome many many years ago 25 years ago when i was at university and i managed to heal myself 100 percent through my research so i did a lot of medical research especially into the brain neurology of emotion the brain neurology of of illness I got myself fully well and then set up a clinic to support others uh, through chronic illness. And when I say chronic illness, I mean those illnesses that the doctor simply says, there's nothing more we can do. Take these pills and leave my surgery because there's not much we can do for you. And it's those illnesses, those chronic illnesses that are the majority of illnesses that um, doctors are actually treating. So that might be pain syndromes, fibromyalgia, uh, upper respiratory conditions that. They can't really do much about a uh, fatigue, a very common symptom that presents itself and anxiety. All of these are what I call software problems rather than hardware problems. Um, so as part of my research and as part of the Gupta program, we take this idea that the medical profession is very good at treating hardware problems. So they treat the body like a car. You've got something wrong with the engine. We'll go and fix that. You've got something wrong with the, the windows. We'll fix that. And that model, that purely kind of reductionist scientific model, has been transferred to the human body. And what we say actually, the majority of illnesses that people face are software issues, where the brain and the body have reacted to something and they keep reacting in the similar way. Yes, yeah, so, so it, the analogy being it's like a post-traumatic response. So many chronic illnesses are when the body's been through an intense experience and then keeps reacting as if that intense experience is continuing
1: it's like stuck in a a cycle so what are some of the things that would um i guess be at the source of that uh, like process that winds up kind of taking over that cycle that people get stuck in
2: you know i always ask the biggest question of all you know, why are we here? (laughs) So we ask that question from a philosophical perspective, but we can also ask it from a scientific perspective. And if we take the scientific perspective, we're here because over millions of years, our nervous system has evolved to protect us. Yep. So we are survival machines. Yep. Our genes want to pass on from generation to generation. So that is the priority of our nervous system. When we have... Uh, let's say a weakened system, so a weakened immune system or a weakened nervous system, primarily from stress, you know, chronic or acute stress. When an illness comes along, and that could be, let's say someone has an accident, a road accident, or they contract a virus, obviously uh, big in the news right now, or they um, perhaps are exposed to a chemical or an inoculation. If the system is weak, what will happen is it will see that particular stressor as far worse than it actually is, it will over-defend the system. And as a result of that over-defense, once that trigger has gone, so once the, the flu is gone or the pain has gone, the body and the brain and the nervous system are still responding as if it's still here, creating this chronic loop. Okay. So, so this is a, these illnesses are illnesses of over-defense or over-survival strategies by the body. Because the body doesn't care whether you feel good or not. The body prioritizes survival. Survival is its number one priority. And because we live in a society, what I call an inflammatory society, both emotionally and physically, um, we live in a society where our nervous systems are constantly stimulated. Our immune systems are constantly stimulated by the stresses we experience. We, our nervous system and immune system are primed to over respond, over defend and get stuck in protective responses. And that's why we see so many of these chronic illnesses um, in modern life.
1: So basically you're saying the the chronic illnesses, the, the collection of symptoms that people or most likely to experience are really from like an immunological dysfunction. So where the immune system, when you say the reaction, you're really talking about an inflammatory reaction, the immune's response, immune system's response to whatever the insult is, the, whatever the, uh, the environmental stressor or biological stressor or whatever, or or, or like the physical trauma. It's the immune system is essentially stuck in reaction mode and needs to be somehow reset somehow.
2: That's exactly right, yes. So we call all of these suites of conditions, and there's many of them including POTS and uh, you know many other conditions related to ME and chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, we call these conditions neuroimmune conditioned syndromes. So neuro, because they involve the nervous system. Immune, because obviously there's conditioning in the immune system as well. Uh, conditioned essentially means learnt, a learnt response and syndrome because there's a collection of symptoms which are unique to each person according to their genetic or uh, bodily vulnerabilities. So neuroimmune condition syndromes. And once the brain has got trained to over respond as a result of that intense experience, the body and the brain will keep triggering. Yes, there is an inflammatory response, but there's also a neurological response. There are um, endocrine responses, there are mitochondria that aren't functioning correctly. Uh, you know, the, all of the systems are now in a state of hypervigilance and sympathetic mode. So constant overstimulation of the immune system and nervous system is at the root source of many different illnesses.
1: So why is that? Why doesn't the immune system understand when maybe the, the threat has dissipated why doesn't it know just like it knows to respond when it needs to why doesn't it know how to chill out when the you know immediate uh, um stress is gone
2: it's a very good question and um I, I like to give a game of thrones analogy given there's so many fans of game of thrones oh you're one of them brilliant oh, yeah, brilliant yeah. so this is something that people can really relate to <laughs> um so imagine you are the king or the queen of the castle i'm assuming you're the king of the king of the castle and your body is the castle itself yeah and the army is your nervous system and the navy is your immune system okay now that castle is surviving everything's going well yeah everyone's well fed everything's good winter hasn't come yet <laughs> and then suddenly There's a famine, let's say, or there's a a drought. So suddenly the people, the army, the Navy, the people living in the castle, they're all weakened. Yep. They're they're weakened physically. Yep. They can't do as much. They're under stress. And that could be the physical stress of the drought or it can be emotional stress. Let's say for whatever reason, there's some level of emotional stress amongst the people. Then an army comes invading over the hill. The immune system and the nervous system, so your Navy and your army are primed and ready to defend, but they're weak. So they defend against that army and they manage to fight off that invading army and they think, oh, phew, thank God for that. You know, we we managed to do it. But then another army comes over another hill and they fight it off and they think, phew, we managed to do that even though we're so weak. Now that army and Navy, because they're so weak, are they going to switch off in the good times? and just drink and be merry. No, they are going to be constantly using up the castle's resources to replenish themselves, to have all the sentries guarding the castle, making sure that another army coming over the hill, they'll be able to defend. And now what happens if there's just, I don't know, a little girl walking over the hill or someone on a horse walking over the hill, they are so traumatized and ready to fight that they will send out battalions of the army and the Navy to go and figure out if this is a threat, okay? Because they've become so traumatized by the experiences that it doesn't matter how logical we are to say, hey, look, come on guys, chill out, there's nothing wrong. They must ensure survival of the castle. And an analogy similar to this is that of um, people who go into war zones, yeah? So they've experienced intense uh trauma on the battlefield and even when those veterans then come back to civilian life they if they hear a a balloon popping or a car backfiring or uh you know someone threatening them the nervous system response that they get is pure panic and that is the body's defensive strategy saying you were in danger before and it nearly you nearly lost your life now i will over defend and over protect you through these responses and the key answer to your question is because we live in a more threatening environment than we did a few hundred years ago in terms of emotional stress physical stress mental stress stress spiritual stress then it means that even once we've recovered from the condition these systems don't want to switch off they still feel threatened so now emotional stress and many people who have these conditions report this even emotional stress can trigger off one of these responses.
1: Yeah, I could speak to that, definitely. I've experienced that. And, uh, and I've definitely experienced where, like I could relate to what you talk about, how everything's kind of on, on guard, where when you're not doing well, and I guess your system is suppressed, that the, the little things will kind of trigger you that really shouldn't. Like, I remember when I was in the worst of it for me, like something like uh, maybe dropping a plate or something, where you should have, you know, a half a second of, I don't know, oh, shit, I dropped it, you know, that, you know, you're pissed Mm -hmm. off for like a moment, but it would be like a, there'd be like this big physiological response that seemed really out of proportion where like, I would feel Mm -hmm. adrenaline dump into my gut. It would like, there would be this strong physiological response that was not ideal. It was clearly not normal over small things and um Mm -hmm. it was like the the threshold had really been compromised so what's the process like how does you you have a program that is an online program that i've heard many good things about i mean what's the process or the science behind how to reset that system like how do we interact with kind of the subject the subjective like the subconscious mind's perception of these Uh, potential stressors
2: yes so um, I want to just start off with a bit of brain neurology to answer that question so we have two main brain structures that we believe are involved in these types of conditions one being the amygdala and we have two of them kind of sitting behind the eyes in the brain and another brain structure called the insula which kind of sits between the limbic system and the cortex and in animal studies both of those systems have been involved in conditioning responses in the nervous system and the immune system so i believe that those two brain structures um, are at the core of the issue although the entire brain is involved now i believe that the learning as i said is in those two brain structures and each time you have a stimulus whether it be an audio stimulus a physical stimulus or a infection or whatever it may be or a pain stimulus from the body those brain structures cannot control the bodily response anymore. So normally the insula takes all this information from the body, processes it, and then creates a response. But we know in these conditions, especially fibromyalgia, that the insula is actually shrunk and it can no longer process the pain signals from the body. So it is just constantly just sending panic systems across the entire physiology these structures can be controlled by our more conscious rational brain and i don't mean mind here so these conditions are definitely not in the minds but they are in the brain and that's a, a big difference there so in neurological research what they found is there are projections that go from our prefrontal cortex uh, potentially also from our hippocampus that project to the amygdala and these other brain structures to calm them down Okay, so it's almost as if this brain structure says panic, panic, we're in danger. This and this prefrontal cortex says. Either, oh, my gosh, you're right, we're in danger and sends a confirmation response back to the subconscious brain, or it can send a different response down to the subconscious brain. Now, that's fine when we're doing something around emotional reactions. So if someone calls you an idiot, right, your amygdala will fire off going danger, fight or flight, but you can consciously say, oh, just let it go. So what? He called me an idiot. You know, let, let me just let that go. But when it comes to the immune system and nervous system, those signals are far more subtle and profound. So what we do in our program is train people to become aware of the physiological signals, the uh, cognitive signals that and emotional signals that indicate that a danger response is being put into play. And then there's a specific seven step process that trains the brain, the prefrontal cortex, not to respond to those signals. And in fact, send messages back to the subconscious brain, the amygdala and the insula, that we aren't in danger during this period of time. So you're switching off uh, immune and neurological responses through um, these brain retraining systems. And I wouldn't, it's very different to cognitive behavioral therapy or any kind of talking therapy. It is training the nervous system. And the analogy of this would be, let's say we learn to drive, right? We can't sit there on the first lesson when we learn to drive and say, right, if I'm really positive and if I imagine moving the steering wheel and the and the, the shift, the gear shift and the accelerator, I somehow will be able to drive. No. We need you know, five lessons, 10 lessons, 15 lessons, sometimes 50 lessons right. to train our nervous system to drive that car automatically until eventually we could be eating a sandwich or talking on the phone whilst we're driving. Those processes have become automatic. And in the same way, at the moment, in a lot of these illnesses, our brain processes have become automatic to over defend and over respond. They need to come, to come to conscious rational, Uh, awareness be retrained and then the system goes back to a different homeostasis a different state of reactivity
1: okay and so for the user that's experiencing this process I mean what does that look like Um, like logistically does that is this is like an hour a day where you're following a video that's kind of coaching you along you know uh, this process is for A few weeks months or what does that generally look like so the online
2: program is a series of 15 interactive video sessions and lots of audio exercises okay so it's all online and you you also get a manual in the post as well and within that program you watch the videos and as you go along with the videos you practice the techniques and tools but the key thing is it's not about the theory. And we have many, many, especially intellectuals who come and say, Oh yes, I understand all of this. And they think that that's going to retrain their brain, but it's the practical day-to-day brain retraining that makes the difference. So there are, there are some meditation processes in there, but they are supportive processes. The main processes are ones where every morning you do five rounds or 10 rounds of this brain retraining technique, which Where you have a physical floor chart and you step through certain processes yeah so you step here right now do this take a step here now i do this take a step here now i do this simply because these defense responses are primeval evolutionary responses you can't just tell your brain hey my friend just switch that off it's not going to listen because it's doing what it thinks is best So it's a very visceral bodily involvement in switching off danger responses. So there's some self-coaching, there's visualization, there's breathing. It's a whole structured process of sending those messages back to the unconscious. Supported by uh, meditation as well and a holistic perspective. So there are some brain retraining programs that just focus on brain retraining. But ultimately, we are a holistic being, and I'm sure you obviously uh, uh, concur with that. So the diet, the activity, the pacing, the sleep, the medications, all of that are also looked at within the program as well to make it a holistic program of recovery.
1: So let's say somebody uh, shows up to the program, they've had you know, 10, 20 years where they haven't felt great, they, the, I guess, doctors they've seen kind of hit dead ends where they've kind of run out of their, their tools and their toolkit, and then they start this program. Like, what's a realistic expectation to find, to get progress, you know, how long does it take for somebody to notice a benefit from, from these practices? Like, what's a realistic expectation for it to really get the most out of the program?
2: We call it a six-month program, but we call it a minimum six months. Um, So for some people, they notice benefits literally within hours and days. Others, it takes weeks. Others, it takes months. But we would say that it's a program of recovery which you stick to for a year, a minimum of six months, but up to a year. And during that year, we hope to get somebody, uh, probably within six months, up to about an 80% recovery, a 70 to 80% recovery because that final 20% is then reintegrating yourself back into normal activity. And that can take a little longer. So that's not necessarily brain retraining. Actually, it kind of is. You you are still doing some level of brain retraining, but you're pacing and training your body to get back to used to doing normal activity. So that would be a good outcome would be to get to, you know, 80 to 90, 70, between 70 to 90% of your original uh, abilities within six to 12 months that would be our kind of program and we're realistic about that because some people say oh but you can do it in you know one weekend or you can do it in a week the challenge with that is you may have that intensity of experience of brain retraining but unless it is continued for a consolidated period of time you're likely to get a dip and you're likely to kind of have symptoms come back because the retraining hasn't been deep and consolidated when you're going through your challenging times.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important for people to to recognize that you know if you haven't been feeling good for a long time to set a realistic expectation where like it's not there's no magic pill. There's no thing that and you'll see stuff advertised as if it's a magic pill even if it's it's not a pill per se but that you know you could fix some 30 year issue in like a weekend or something and i remember listening um to a i think it was a a microbiome talk by a functional medicine doc and something stuck out to me because i had recently finished like a three-week course of antibiotics for uh, lyme disease and um she said something like you know for every week of a like broad spectrum antibiotic you're on figure one to two years to build yourself back. And I just finished three weeks and I was like, shit, I got a road ahead of me. But it like, um, and sure enough, it turned out to be pretty spot on with that timing and in that process and listening to other people's healing stories, the successful stories kind of put it in perspective that, you know, if you've been, you know, figure at least a month for every year you haven't been feeling well. So, you know, if you've, been through 20 doctors or something, you probably haven't been feeling well for a long time and you still have a road ahead of you. And it's, it's good to set that expectation going into it so, so you're not frustrated where you probably started something and a week later, you're not all better. Like you have an understanding that you, you're in a, a journey of some sort and that's okay. Not, you know, it's not going to go away overnight, but as long as your steps are mostly forward steps, you know, keep practicing
2: Yes, and we also share with people: please don't compare yourself to others. Yeah, you're on your own healing journey. Everyone's at different starting points. Everyone's got a unique brain, or how long it takes to retrain your brain is a very unique thing. And you know, we have people, as I said, who have fibromyalgia. Within within weeks, their pain levels have halved. Um, and in fact, a study that we've just done in Spain which will be published soon. And it's uh, so very, very excited about that. Uh, was a controlled study uh, with 42 patients and the control was relaxation uh, with a similar amount of relaxation and then our program. And it found that within eight weeks, uh, on people on our program, their fibromyalgia scores reduced by 40%, as well as many other pain scores, uh, whereas the relaxation group had no change yeah so this is a really groundbreaking study that will be published soon and should obviously then generate a lot more interest um uh, you know to, for, for larger scale studies in what we're doing um, but it's just really exciting to know that there are now solutions and ways forward for patients that don't involve medicines that don't involve something that's can be even more impactful on the body sure. but actually we can heal the root cause which is our own body stuck in a position which it thinks is right for it, but isn't right for it. Gotcha. If you so, yeah.
1: So you did a study where the control group spends like what the same amount of time as it takes to run the program, just just relaxing without the tasks of the program.
2: Exactly. That's, that's exactly.
1: Yeah, I guess some things are kind of hard to put together good research on. Mm. And you, so that, that's interesting. Like I've I noticed that like with meditation, you, know, you can't really have like a placebo control group you can't tell people to like pretend they're meditating or so there's always these uh there's some things there's obstacles when you're composing a study so that's that's cool that you have, are able to have a control group where they're still doing something that would be considered nourishing so you can get really con- kind of compare uh apples to mm-hmm. apples there so yeah. let's um so you mentioned you created the meaning of life experiment can you touch on what that is a little bit
2: yes of course so
1: in my life
2: i always do things which i think inspire me to want to share something you know it it comes from a deeper place and the gupta program for me was just i've got myself better i want to help as many people with these conditions and that's where that sprouted from and then once i'd created that another real kind of ambition of mine was to create the meaning of life experiment which is essentially an app and on that app it's a 30-day program of videos and meditations to discover more happiness, meaning, and purpose. So in these 30 days, uh, you get, let's say, a 20 minute video every day, and then a 10 or 20 minute meditation. And we start off looking at uh, quantum physics, the nature of reality, the nature of consciousness, as well as looking at meditation. Then we go through a hypothesis, and this is, I guess, based on Eastern philosophies, a hypothesis, of how this universe actually works and our position and our place in this universe, how the mind works, how the intellect works. And it's a whole journey of understanding um, all of these processes and systems, but done in a very, almost like a BBC documentary style. So it's, 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 uh, it's for people who perhaps have had a lot of skepticism about, let's say, anything that's vaguely spiritual or perhaps um, you know, seems a bit out there. And actually say there's a lot of logical principles which are supported by quantum physics that you can look at and put together a hypothesis of why we're here what this universe is about and how it all works and uh, you know we've had people who've who are religious uh people who are who are jews or muslims or christians or hindus and we've had people who are atheists or agnostics who've been able to go through this program and discover what shares what we all share as human beings those core values and say even though this stretches me i can understand this and i can uh, believe it
1: cool so and that's so you said that's an app and you just follow along and i guess it's kind of a tutorial and a practice along the way Yes, it's a whole program
2: um, of a a journey of self-discovery. So you get the videos and meditations, and then you also have some questions for self-reflection. And then there's a community where you can go online, share your reflections, and, uh, you know, help others and support others through their reflections as well. And the ultimate purpose of it is to open our minds up to new possibilities. Uh, And I'm sure this is... It's something that uh, you know you, you've looked into as well, which is that our day-to-day life, what we perceive around us, is a very small percentage of of the existence of the totality. And when we investigate further by going inwards, uh, there's a wealth of experiences and a wealth of understandings that can spring forth um, that make perfectly logical sense. There's no difference yeah. between science and spirituality. There's just a different starting point. But ultimately, if you if there is a, there is a, a constructive way that they can work together and live together and understand each other, uh, which is obviously this hypothesis that we go through.
1: Yeah, for some folks, it's it's hard to think about or believe in something that you can't see. Um, mm. But to think that what we the only things that are like real or true or the things we could see would be, I guess, it's kind of naive in in some in some way. There's a a lot that's not seen and a lot that's still not understood.
2: Absolutely. So we look around us and think right there's nothing around us. In fact there are subatomic particles bombarding all of us billions of them every second of every day. There are radio waves all around us that we can't see. So this and in terms of the, the spectrum of visible light that we can see that represents a very small spectrum of the frequencies of uh, just, of our just,
1: existence, yeah,
2: just a, so, a little slice. A little slice. So we are seeing a microcosm, a very small percentage of what's out there. And even if you look at uh, dark energy, dark matter, that makes up 96% of the universe, and yet scientists don't know what it's made of. They can't detect it. They just know it's there. Yeah. Right. So we are only are seeing a small percentage of four percent of the universe. And just like if you have a radio, a radio, if you tune it correctly, you tune into a frequency and can detect that frequency. Now imagine if we are the radio and our consciousness is the radio and we can only pick up the signals of that, whatever, 96% of the universe or whatever, however you want to look at it. And we as human beings are the only people that can tune into that and meditation going deep into meditation is one way that we can tune deep into that. Then it starts making sense. Right. And it's and uh, we start discovering uh, we're much more than this mind, body, intellect that we perceive ourselves as uh, yes. something. deeper.
1: Yeah, Well said. So you've recently uh, put together something called the coronavirus challenge. Not sure exactly what that is. Interested in the, to find out. If you're listening to this, you've probably heard the word coronavirus recently. There's uh, been something in the news. Um, Just maybe slightly. Yes, a little, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> tell, us, tell us about this challenge Ashok and uh, and what, do you, what are you offering here? So uh, the,
2: the reason we set up the coronavirus challenge was because the mainstream media and the medical profession were focusing on avoidance of the virus and that's absolutely correct and right to avoid the virus. But at the same time, as we open up society now, as we come out of lockdown, it's inevitable that there is a chance that we will get this virus. So boosting our immune system is the most important thing to do. And yet as a society, we're not trained in that idea of preventative healthcare. It's all about, you know, how do we stop ourselves from getting the virus? Well, by then it's too late. If we have a strong immune system, there's actually plenty of evidence now that that will protect us against COVID-19. So they've already got some research on uh, meditation. They've already got some research on physical activity as an example. So the you coronavirus for
1: COVID in particular, they already have research out on that,
2: or yeah, they do, and I can I can send you some of that, um, which is you know, really fascinating uh, research. They found that people who were regularly exercising had far lower chance of being hospitalised, right?
0: Okay.
2: Um, they found people who regularly engaged in relaxation techniques and meditation were less likely to get the inflammatory response, which would then cause them to be hospitalized again. Um, then some of the other research, sleep. We know there's a connection with sleep as well. But all of this was very well established when it came to flus and colds. We already knew this. And this virus is very similar to those infections in terms of, you know, if you've got a strong immune system, you're less likely to to, to get this uh, virus. Um, so it's a 10-day program um, of looking at preventative healthcare in terms of my MEND protocol. So MEND stands for mind, exercise, nighttime routine, and diet. And these four pillars are the main pillars of our overall health, not only with infections, but even when it comes to cancer or heart disease, or any kind of, any kind of illness. So the mind aspect in the program focuses on how do we relax our minds in terms of meditation. So lots of free meditations on there, but also, how do we reduce our anxiety about the pandemic how do we reduce our anxiety about our financial situation so it's very targeted to the people the experiences people are going through right now then ease for exercise what does the research say we we spent um a long time the last 20 years researching the immune system and so Each of the recommendations that we make in this program has been backed up by research and we provide the actual research study. So people can go away and and look at the evidence themselves. So exercise, you know, the certain amount of exercise you can do halves the chances of you getting an infection. Yeah, sometimes it can reduce your chances of infection by 80%.
1: You mean it reduces your chance of acquiring it or it reduces your your probability of getting like sick from it I know there's a lot of people that could get contracted and they don't really even know yes um, because I guess their immune system's just doing its job so mm-hmm. does it can you can you inter- interact with other than like avoiding people can you interact with your ability to just contract it or can you only interact with how well you're gonna respond once you get it?
2: It's the latter. It's how well you will respond once you get it. And there's several layers. So what happens is we are constantly exposed to flus and colds and infections and viruses, and they live in our bodies. They can be opportunistic infections. And I'm sure at some point we can talk about Lyme disease because we treat that as well. And we often, we treat that as an opportunistic infection. So we're constantly bombarded by these things, but it's a question of whether our immune system fights them off straight away so that they don't turn into an infection. An infection meaning that it's it's multiplied enough that it's causing symptoms uh, in the body. Okay, And so these interventions don't stop you necessarily from getting it, but they stop it from turning in, into a symptomatic um, illness. So the first layer of our defense is the epithelial cells in the nose and the back of the throat. When the virus comes, it then enters those particular cells. If our immune system is strong, um, it should be able to fight it off at that point. If it's not, then the virus starts coming down the throat into the lungs. The second layer of the immune system is there to fight it off. If it can't, then it starts infecting the lungs and then we get severe problems. So boosting our immune system works at several layers. So you were going to ask Les,
1: So uh, this is nice to hear. It seems like, um, I mean, I, I try to stay off the news, but when the TV's on, it seems like the narrative that's coming through isn't really focused on what we can do to improve our chances. And it, to me, it's very clear that, um, like I don't know what's true, but I know that a lot of the narratives coming through are not 100% true. I, just, you know, I don't know if anybody knows what's absolutely true in regards to this, but one thing that seems clear is that the virus will pick on you if you're not as healthy. And to me, yes. that's kind of very, that's very important because what that message is, is we, sh- the framework we should be approaching this is how do we optimize our health so that you know, we are more likely to be the type of person where when it comes in, we don't even notice. Um, so, and we have a lot of control over that based on really like it's lifestyle choices. And, and,
2: uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. We're not being told this message because it's not the way the medical profession works. It's not the way our modern systems work. Um, so we're trying to get that message out that let's use this pandemic as an opportunity to get healthy. We're all at home, we've all got time, we can't make that excuse anymore, and we've all got the ability because there's so many meditation programs online now, there's so many apps you can download to get yourself physically healthy. Let's do that because not only will that help us with this virus, but it will also help us with our health in general. And that's the message we want to empower people with. That if you meditate, we know that you have the chances of getting an infection from uh, another coronavirus or a flu if you exercise you can reduce it by up to 50 to 80 percent in terms of contracting an infection if you get the right amount of sleep and high quality sleep you can reduce your chances of getting infection by between a factor of three to six yeah i mean sleep is absolutely one of the most powerful influences of our immune system and finally diet. diets the more obvious one um, there are plenty of things we can do in our diet to reduce our chances of getting it or getting it in a, in a severe way. And connected to diet, we do know that obesity, uh, being severely overweight, is a big risk factor for these conditions for COVID. Also diabetes uh, as a precursor, sorry, a precondition. So these are all things that directly impact on our immune system. So if we are obese or overweight, if we have diabetes, if we have other some other kind of respiratory illness, our system is already um, weakened, but if we follow the men's protocol, there's no reason why we couldn't also potentially uh, get closer to our ideal weight. There's no reason that it wouldn't help you uh, with diabetes and things because these are all these are these interventions are what i call getting us to our optimal level of being yes incorporating whether it's uh, ayurvedic principles or nutrition principles it's looking at all the research putting it together and saying this is the best way to live (laughs) and it also happens to reduce our chances of infection
1: so what are the things you do i'm a i'm a a big fan of like uh, daily practices and i think they really add Mm -hmm. up and you know we become the sum of our practices. What are the things that you do personally when you're kind of composing the minutes of your day to, to give you the best chance to to be your optimal self?
2: So uh, yeah, absolutely love to share that. So I start off with my cardio. So when I wake up in the morning, big glass of water, yeah, uh, can be alkalized uh, with some lemons or cucumbers. So waking up in the morning, flushing out all those toxins from the system with a big glass of water, then physical activity. So the main thing is really exposing yourself to daylight straight away. Uh, So I will do 20 to 30 minute cardio. um, And then I will come back shower. And then what's absolutely core for me is breathing and meditation. So a few moments of breathing followed by, uh, you know, 20, between 20 to 40 minutes of meditation in the morning. And then 20 minutes to 30 minutes in the evening as well before dinner.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and then during the day, really making sure I'm hydrated, making sure I'm eating lots of fresh, vibrant uh, foods. So lots of fruit, lots of vegetables, uh, lots of lentils kind of covered in the program, all those things that boost your immune system. Um, yeah. So I, th- I would say that those would be things that uh, you know are absolutely core to my day. And obviously there's plenty of other things that I do as well. But one thing I'd love for people to do is take your phone calls whilst walking in nature. <laughs> so as part of our jobs, we all often have to take phone calls in some capacity. So as soon as you get a phone call that you know you're going to be on, what I do um, is just go and walk in the local park. So it means that you're getting fresh air, you're walking and you're also working. Um, at the same time and these days even on our phones if we need to check a document or we we need to check an email we can still do that whilst we're walking right (laughs) so that's once again it's it's how you incorporate these lifestyle aspects into your day-to-day work into your day-to-day way of being that just then keep your body in tip-top condition
1: yeah that's a that's a great idea i think uh i i think I do believe that most people don't get enough sun and to be able to look for opportunities where, you know, you're, you're you know, like that phone call idea. That's brilliant. Um, what an opportunity to kind of kill two birds one stone. You could sit in artificial light in a controlled environment or go out and, and let that nature connection just happen around you. And not, Sometimes
2: uh, I'll check my steps and, I'll, and I've and i done 15,000 steps because I've been on the phone for three hours <laughs> right? and I'm yeah, like brilliant you know I've had three hours of ex- exercise, sure three hours of walking but it just feels good and when you're on the call, uh, you know many of us are on calls all day you're also more energized and feeling more optimistic and uplifted and uplifting other people because you're walking rather than just sitting and having a meeting so that's these simple things can make a huge difference to our physiology.
1: Yeah, especially over time. You know, a little thing, like if you're, you don't think much of it, but if, you, if it's just one, you know, an extra five, ten minutes a day of walking, what does that look like after three years, five years? You know, mm. it's, it adds up. Yeah. Uh, that's that's great. So if people are interested in this coronavirus challenge, how do they go about, how do they, how do they get in touch with it?
2: Okay, so it's a free not for profit programme and we're offering it to companies, individuals, organisations, whoever wants to take this and just make a difference. So the website is thecoronaviruschallenge.com and you go on there, you just simply sign up and then you have access to the online system with all the videos, the meditations and all the knowledge to, to kind of boost your immune system. So it's very, very simple. And uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love for, for more people to use it, to try it and realize that there's nothing more important than doing this right now, okay? We are in a situation where this COVID and you know, people say different things, it is actually not just about the death rate that we're seeing, but it's also the long-term scars. So we know from some latest research in China, that if you contract the virus and it affects you in some way, there can be some physical scarring in the lungs, so it can affect you long-term in the lungs, but also there are many people seeming to contract chronic fatigue syndrome, ME, as a result of it as well, because it is quite a severe infection if it takes hold. So right now, boosting our immune system, making sure it doesn't turn into an infection, there can be nothing more important because as we come out of lockdown, the chances actually increase that we will be exposed to it once more. There will be outbreaks. There's, there's no question of it, um, until there is a universal vaccine, which could be, you know, two years away, realistically, at least. Therefore let's focus on our health. Let's empower ourselves to do that. And why is it we don't? Because we've been taught as children, as adults, that you get sick and then you go to the doctor. We need to shift that way of thinking and that model to say, we are, we take charge of our own health and we can actually make a difference. Uh, and, and something I'd love to share with you, uh, I don't know if you've seen this research, it very powerful for, for other people you speak to. In Harvard did a study on meditation and relaxation techniques, this was in 2015, where they followed 5,000 people for a year in terms of how much they visited a doctor or a hospital. And then they taught them to meditate for 20 minutes a day. Going to go, and go into a deep relaxation state. And then they followed them for a year afterwards. And believe it or not, they found a 42% drop in the usage of medical facilities. That's substantial. 42%, nearly halving. Now, if someone, if a drug company came up with a drug that halved the amount of usage of medical facilities it would be the miracle drug of the 21st century i mean literally we'd be talking about it everywhere and yet because it involves something that the drug companies can't benefit from and involves some time and effort to to learn it and do it each day but it, it doesn't as we know it doesn't become an effort after a while you know it's not even it wasn't even front page headlines and yet it should be. As a civilization, we have the tools and know-how to take care of ourselves, and yet it isn't being promoted.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, they don't have the incentive. I mean, you, it's hard to, for the, you know, Western model to make money telling people to go meditate, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, we do have <laughs> a lot more control than most people give ourselves credit for in our, in mm-hmm. our well-being, and You know, as part of it is personal responsibility, like, you know, it's easy to take a pill and, you know, dedicating 20 minutes a day for some people at first, like, that's really overwhelming. Like, especially if you have a, a truly busy schedule, you know, there's always enough time for what's important. If it's important to you, but it doesn't make it easy. It's simple. Like in theory, it's simple to take 20 minutes and sit on a cushion and watch your breath and see what happens and allow meditation for Mm -hmm. to to take place but you know if you're not used to that that could be a really big hump for people to to get over just or exercise you know going to the gym like Mm -hmm. i i work at a gym and i've always said like the hardest part is pulling into the parking lot just you know it's Mm -hmm. showing up and once you build that habit you know, then it's, you know, becomes who you are. And, you know, when you away from it, you don't feel yourself and, you know, you it becomes part of you.
2: It does. And I, I say it's like learning to brush your teeth or have a shower each day. It, it becomes a point at which you don't question it anymore because you know it's good for you and you feel better. And in the same way, if people take the meaning of life experiment, most people find that, you know, starting off with short meditations, starting off five, 10 minute meditations, gets them kind of into it. Then they kind of go for 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and it, because there are guided meditations there, um, it just becomes easier to get into. And there's a community of people doing it as well. Um, so, and, and just like yourselves, that like you have a community of people kind of working on mindfulness and meditation in the same way, if you do it with a friend, you do it in a group, it can then just feel a lot easier.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you said exercise is a component of that program?
2: Um, exercise is a component of the coronavirus challenge. Okay. okay.
1: So there's the, specific so yes. exercises or is it just uh, go exercise? I mean, are they guiding you through a particular exercise or? It gives you the uh, minimum. It gives you
2: the time, how much time you should invest in physical exercise. And then we also give people resources. So apps you can, can download that will gradually pace you back to getting a good cardiovascular fitness.
1: Gotcha. That sounds like a great tool. Um, And For those listeners, we'll be linking to all all these um, ways to connect to these ideas and these programs in the show notes, so uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, Ashoka, is there anything else you'd like to touch on or share with the audience?
2: Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, something that we're launching, as if we didn't have enough on our plate at the clinic, yeah, like... <laughs> but something else, that we're... <laughs> something else we're launching um, uh, very soon, I'd love for your, your listeners to, to have a look at this, is something called Humanity's Wake Up Call, which is essentially saying that so many of us feel that something has to change and shift now. We can't go back to the way that we were living before this pandemic politically, economically, socially, education-wise, environment, we all have that feeling that, look, this is an opportunity for the world to come together. We've never had this opportunity before to say, let's start a movement of people that want to see change the way that society is structured at a fundamental level. So we have this online summit um, where we have lots of top speakers. We have Naomi Harris, the, the Oscar nominee, uh, we have Connie Hark as a t- BBC TV presenter. And we have many other pr- uh, people who will be talking on societal and planetary change to say, let's come together, let's build a movement. So we'll be discussing our political system. Uh, You know, uh, and racism, we'll be discussing how our education system needs to transform into a human values education system. About how healthcare needs to transform, instead of taking up 20 to 25% of the economy, we now need to focus on preventative healthcare and roll it out to the the masses. Um, Environment, we've got to stop talking about this now. And if we took the same action as we are on the pandemic for the environment and all of these issues, we can make a difference there just hasn't been the political will before but if we have enough people coming together and saying let's make a change let's join this movement um, then we can actually bring these things to fruition and change policy around the world so that's the inspiration that we we want to give to people so we'll be having this summit and there'll be an opportunity online for people to connect with organizations and individuals there'll be there'll be a kind of virtual facebook kind of system on there but we won't be using facebook Um, so we want to get people to network and get on board with this.
1: Okay, great. Well, uh, I will keep a lookout for that and we will post again, all that stuff in the show notes. Um, Ashok, I want to thank you for taking the time today. This has been really cool. It's great to finally meet you. I've heard about you for a while now, and it's great to hear your story. And it seems like you you have a, a ton to offer. So I do encourage our listeners to go check out your resources at GuptaProgram.com, and you said the website for the coronavirus was the CoronavirusChallenge.com.
2: That's correct. Yes. Okay. Great. Yeah.
1: Um, so again, I want to thank you, and I and want to the thank meaning the
2: Meaning of Life. Uh, for the Meaning of Life, uh, if people want to download the app, it's uh, theMeaningOfLife.tv.
1: Okay, themeaningoflife.tv. Okay, great. Thank you. And uh, I want to thank the listeners for tuning in. I hope you uh, got some value out of this conversation. And if you have any comments, please reach out to us. And uh, Ashok, I hope that we could speak again sometime in the future. And maybe one day when things settle down, we'll meet in person. I uh, look forward to it. And That would be lovely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and again, thanks, everybody, for your listening. I hope everybody has a terrific... day. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. It was great to finally talk to Ashok after checking out his work quite a bit over the years. Um, if you find yourself like you are stuck in some healing journey where you may be at some kind of dead end, a roadblock, like you just can't break through a plateau or something, it might be worth checking out. Uh, there's a good chance that there's something involved where if you get your nervous system working for you, that maybe you can make some progress. So check out the show notes for more information on that. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments about this topic, I'd love to hear from you. And I want to thank you again for listening. And if you are enjoying these episodes, if you haven't yet, please go to your podcast player and offer a review. I would greatly appreciate it. Hope you enjoy your day and stay tuned for more episodes.